Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. The show that is so bad if it was a Halloween costume, it wouldn't even get a flaming bag of poo. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, and sometimes scary, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you uh, Tuesday before Halloween, end of October. Yeah. Uh, on this week's show, uh, in the mail, in pipe parts, I'm going to get caught up on a couple of interesting questions in the mailbag. And then my guest is a novice pipe smoker, Andrew Knapp, who has, uh, boy, he's, he's been around the world. I thought I traveled a lot, but uh, we get to talk to Andrew. And then uh, music for the holiday season and mailbag where I'll get caught up on all the mailbag, I promise. And a rant, all that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Remember, you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are in order to trick-or-treat at this house. So if you're underage, please click off and go to somebody else's house. There you go. All right, we'll wait for that. Um, iTunes ratings and reviews. Apple podcast ratings and reviews. Much appreciated. Please, if you haven't already, go there and leave us a rating and a review. Doesn't have to be five stars, but makes me happy. (laughs) Uh, So please do that. And continue to share the Pipes Magazine radio show wherever wherever your pipe-smoking friends are. Uh, Facebook groups, on the forums, whatever. I'm interested to find out, after all these years, why some people don't listen to the show. Maybe it's because of uh, time constraints. But anyway, uh, keep that going. Also, coming up, and I want to get this out right now, we have a new segment yeah, after uh, talking to Jeremy Reeves, he has agreed to come back on and do an Ask the Tobacconist or Ask the Tobacco Blender. Uh, ask the Tobacconist, Ask the Tobacco Blender segment, just like we've been doing with Jeff Grasick on the Ask the Pipe Maker. If you have questions for Jeremy uh, or something tobacco-related that you want Jeremy and I to discuss please email them to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at pipesmagazine.com, and uh, put in the title there, Ask the Tobacconist. And uh, Jeremy and I will uh, answer your questions on the show in uh, future Pipe Part segments. So uh, please do that. doesn't have to be Cornell and Deal related, but it can be. And uh, by the way, apparently uh, 15,000 tins was not enough because... they sold out of all the uh, Carolina Red Flake with Perique. So, all right, let's get the show rolling. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And if you're dressing up as a hillbilly or hobo for Halloween, well, obviously you need a Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe to do that. Uh, If you're going to build a snowman this year and you want it to be the real frosty, well, you need a snowman for that too. (laughs) 
All right. Uh, mailbag questions. Um, real quickly here. Uh, I got an email and I'm sorry, I can't find it. But, uh, it was, uh, I, we emailed back and forth and the question was about tobacco storage. And I want to make it clear that, uh, you know, tobacco storage for aging is ideal is, uh, between like 58 and 72 degrees. Uh, I keep all my tobacco that I am aging in inside the house. And during the summertime, we set the air conditioner at 76. And during the wintertime, we keep it around 69, 70 degrees. That is ideal for, uh, for aging. If you want to speed up the aging process, that's where my sun baking comes in. Uh, you know, stick it in a sunny window for 24 hours. Let the sun heat it up and put it through a sweat or two. And I've talked about that before. Uh, Fred Hanna in his oven baking at uh, 180 to 200 degrees for four or five hours is another way to uh, speed age tobacco. But when you're talking about ideal storage, you know, 55 to 72, 73 is ideal for long-term storage of tobacco. All right. So that question came up and I want to make sure that everybody heard my answer to it. Uh, Brian Wilson writes, and yeah, I'm, ha I'm having um, uh, Beach Boys songs there. Uh, he says, hey, Brian, love the show. Uh, he also spells his name correctly. Uh, love the show and have made it a regular part of my rotation. I know you've spoken a lot about Walt Disney pipes, but I was wondering if you could talk about the Disney pipe tobaccos. Maybe you've covered it and I've missed it, but I would love to learn more about these. What were they like? Who made them, etc.? Thanks, Brian. Uh, Brian, I think I've talked about it, but you know, hey, always worthwhile saying it again. Uh, when you walked into the two tobacco shops, one at uh, the Magic Kingdom in uh, Florida and one at Disneyland in Anaheim, the tobacco shops had traditional bulk tobaccos on the counter behind them and they would let you smell them and maybe get a little sample and try them and then they would sell you either a one and a half ounce pouch full or maybe a two ounce pouch i don't don't remember the exact numbers but they'd sell you a pouch or a small can or a large can and they had the empty pouches and the small, uh, what I call them, paint cans because they've got the little snap-on lid. And they had, the, yeah, so they had the smaller size and the large size. I believe the large size would hold uh, 12 to 16 ounces and the small was 8. And they had them generically labeled as natural, aromatic, mild, you know, English blend. Uh, and they were just bulk tobaccos. Now, to the best of my knowledge, those bulk tobaccos came from whatever manufacturer happened to get the contract then. So back in those days, we would be talking about a uh, Century Tobacco Company, which ended up becoming part of, uh, part of the uh, Consolidated Cigar Company and then part of Sutliff. So it might have been Century. It might have been lane limited in the 60s and 70s it might have been world tobacco back then uh u.s to the u.s tobacco company the uh, same company that was famous for making skull in copenhagen well they had a bulk tobacco pipe tobacco selling operation so it was whatever and they were essentially bulk tobaccos that the company opened up and just 
prepackaged right there for you. So nothing special. Uh, they did in both shops at different times sell prepackaged branded tobaccos. So like Prince Albert, I have a um, Edward G. Robinson tin, and I know for uh, for a little bit of time they were selling some uh, Dunhill and uh, more premium tobaccos at the Disneyland tobacco shop because they were a uh, they were buying from Lane Limited. So there's the answer to that. Tim writes. Uh, Brian, on your most recent program, you mentioned the struggle pipe smokers sometimes have on windy days. Please share some of your experiences with windscreens. So my uh, trouble on windy days is not so much with keeping the pipe lit. It's with getting the pipe lit. And that's where, uh, yeah, I, I have them. I have my little bowl caps that I use and I've used windscreens before. Um, uh, I find the windscreens to be nice, but I think the, uh, you know, for what I use it for, my bowl cap works better, and then I don't have to carry multiple things. Um, but the, uh, the problem isn't keeping it, it's keeping it burning evenly, and then at the same time also getting it lit. And I really don't want to use a windproof lighter, so you end up, you know, trying to find a spot where I can get my lighter going correctly, and then, uh, getting it uh, burning evenly and correctly is another bit of a problem while you're out in a windy area. Uh, you know, usually I, I try to line myself up next to some sort of windbreak, uh, you know, or tuck and turn. And if I'm wearing a, if I'm wearing a, a, a jacket or something, you know, tuck the pipe inside my jacket and try to light it all at the same time. Uh, pipe smoking in the wind is just not easy. Uh, and then on this last trip when we were, there was a couple of times when we were on, uh, on shore and we're right by the ocean. Well, it's always kind of windy there. So not real conducive to taking out your pipe and lighting it up and smoking it. All right. I don't know the answer. Uh, I guess maybe more practice, more practice, practice, practice makes perfect. And just trying to stay with the pipe, uh, directly into the wind so that if it does, you know, when the wind is blowing it will keep the it'll blow right into the bowl and not blow the ashes out all right a uh, guy from hong kong the only reason i'm reading this is guy you sent in some great questions and uh i've uh, a couple of questions for ask the pipe maker and you're also going to hear on an upcoming uh visit with rich esserman which i've already recorded um <laughs> uh, Guy asked uh, these, uh, when I have bought a new pipe, mainly online, apart from considering the design and technical features, uh, I would have no other way to tell if it would smoke well other than smoking it and experiencing a good airflow draw. A universal experience, I'm sure. However, after using different briar pipes, I've noticed that some are sweeter and others less so. I wonder if this difference comes down to the quality of the curing process as I understand things. Briar should be boiled for a while to remove saps and, tenon, and tannins that then cured for a while before crafting. So my question is, is there any way to tell if the briar has been cured and cellared long enough that what we are smoking represents a good briar? Conversely, is there any way or telltale sign that indicates a pipe has been treated and cured properly? So you'll hear those coming up uh, with uh, Rich and again with... Uh, Jeff Grasick. Uh, if you do have any Ask the Pipe Maker questions, 
email me brian at pipesmagazine.com and we'll get those queued up when i uh with jeff if you have any tobacconist related questions or tobacco blender questions remember we're doing that with jeremy reeves so all right let's get this <laughs> that that'll wrap that up more mailbag comments coming up in the traditional mailbag segment and in just a moment andrew knapp this is internet radio I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. Since 1990, Cornell & Deal has been producing high-quality pipe tobacco, expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our bestseller, Autumn Evening. We start with whole leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special Red Virginia Cavendish. Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness, deep flavor, and delightful aroma that makes Autumn Evening so well loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend. Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and joining us for another uh, seven questions for newer or novice pipe smokers is uh, Andrew Knapp, who has lived in some wonderful places that we're going to talk about, I promise you, because I'm kind of interested in those, but you're... uh, Andrew, if I understand it correctly, you're not exactly a uh, uh, you're you're really new to this pipe smoking thingy, aren't you? A little bit. I uh, picked it up uh, pre-pandemic in uh, late 2019, and okay. uh, have gotten I would say really into it over the course of the last uh, couple of years. Well, then let me officially welcome you to the Pipes Magazine radio show. So uh, you are you are our novice pipe smoker for the week. So welcome to the show. All right. All right, so let's get to know you. You, I know from talking to you before, you grew up in Idaho, and uh, take over from there because you you didn't grow up in a part of Idaho that a lot of people get to, did you? No, definitely not. I grew up in a tiny town up in the mountains, and uh, about uh, forty three people in my graduating class, about eighty six miles by groceries. So definitely middle of nowhere. Uh, just above my house was a famous hang gliding site, so folks would come from all around the world, like, you know, Poland, Germany, Japan, and jump off the mountain and land in my backyard. So definitely a little, a <laughs> uh, little different childhood than most people have. Yeah. Jumping off. <laughs> all right. So, uh, so when did, how did you get out of there? Cause you're not there now. Yeah, that's true. I, um, went to, uh, basically went to college in Boise, Idaho, studied abroad for, uh, first semester kind of got a taste for the world and ended up uh, doing grad school in dc and kind of having most of my career in the dc area so um yeah definitely very far from uh little idaho so that uh, for those of you that don't know that's the washington district of columbia um better known as dc or the world's largest living circus uh what was your uh, what's your grad what's your graduate degree in uh, I did an uh, undergraduate degree in philosophy and politics and then a uh, kind of graduate degree in, uh, in politics and uh, kind of how societies run. So I've always kind of been interested in the kind of classical philosophy, politics, economics sphere. 
does that classical philosophy of politics work for the past, I don't know, four or five years that we've gone through? Um, I'm just, I'm just asking out loud, no commentary. You know. there, I, I suppose there are ways to describe it using philosophy, but it's, uh, you know, I, like many people, kind of find it helpful to find some source of sanity outside of, you know, government politics and that kind of realm. And philosophy has always been kind of my gateway to understand the world and uh, what's going on in a way that's separate from, say, what's in the news. There you go. And uh, how did pipe smoking come into your life? Um, I was in uh, Austin, Texas, working on a personal project for a while and was visiting my sister in Tennessee. And uh, my sister and brother-in-law had always had pipes around. And my brother-in-law is like one of these classic Norwegian types who uh, always, you know, had some sort of tobacco or some sort of pipe. But uh, around Thanksgiving, they gave me a gift and it was uh, just a simple briar pipe and some aromatic tobacco that I enjoyed at the time. I had been exposed to know cigars and the occasional pipes before but this was the first time i really uh really picked it up and started to enjoy it and see it as a uh, thing in itself so that's kind of where i started probably uh probably mid to late 2019 but uh since then it's been pretty consistently like one of my uh you know main hobbies and something i've explored pretty deeply did you have any previous exposure to pipe smokers i mean you've traveled the world a lot so did you see any yeah any while you were out and around a little bit. In uh, Egypt, it was mostly uh, shisha, being, mm -hmm. which is just kind of a flavored tobacco that tastes like, uh, say, a Sobrani mixture or something like that. And that's just kind of classical water pipe, uh, Alice in Wonderland type stuff. But that was the first time I really started to enjoy tobacco, picked up um, cigars occasionally, maybe once every month or so for about probably five or six years after that. And um, would see pipes, tried a corn cob a couple times, didn't uh, fit with me at the time, but... Uh, then was reintroduced to it later, living in Texas. All right. So while you were while you were out traveling abroad, where where all have you been, and 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 why and how? Um, yeah, I studied abroad in the Middle East. So I lived in kind of a middle class neighborhood in Cairo for uh, for about a semester. Studied uh, there. Traveled to uh, Turkey, mostly Istanbul and Ankara. Really loved Istanbul. Went to uh, Syria before the war. So. Uh, visited Aleppo, um, visited like the Croc du Chevalier, which is an ancient crusader castle that some of it's still standing. So that was fun. Lived in Damascus for about a week and then went to uh, Amman, Jordan, and then uh, Jerusalem for two weeks. So that was kind of my first study abroad. And then later in life, I visited, you know, most of Northern Europe, say Oslo or Amsterdam, that kind of part, yeah. or down into like Wiesbaden, Germany. And those I've enjoyed a lot. They weren't nearly as strange. And it's much culture shock, but um, I enjoy traveling. It's one of my uh, kind of personal hobbies. Is that part of the, uh, the the philosopher in you that likes to get out, travel, and see different cultures? Yeah, and see the world in a way, you know, through other people's eyes. And uh, even in changing languages, people have a different way of looking at the world. Yeah. Um, any uh, any really good coffee while you're out and around? Definitely. I um, I remember having coffee in downtown Istanbul and uh, having the real Turkish coffee with like cardamom and other spices in it. And um, you can't one problem with the Middle East. One of the many problems with the Middle East is that most places don't have real coffee. But uh, Turkish coffee definitely made up for that. And I probably had four or five in a day when I was living there. Ah, oh, sounds wonderful. All right. <laughs> um, while I'm drooling here, let's get into your uh, seven questions. Are you ready? All right. 
So you survived getting started smoking a pipe. What was your aha moment that got you past the trial period and got you as a uh, as a regular pipe smoker? I think it was uh, it was two things. I was visiting a family in Montana, and uh, my mom had bought a bunch of old estate pipes at an estate sale that she didn't really know much what to do with. But uh, we basically kind of cleaned them up together, and then I had picked up some. Uh, I was still kind of exploring aromatics and other blends that I could mm-hmm. find locally, and I had found some uh, Stokeby Navy Flake. I think that's a Virginia Perique mixture, if I remember right. Yeah, I remember putting that in a estate pipe, lighting it up, and actually being blown away by how much I enjoyed it versus the other stuff that I had had. And that would probably be the first time that it really clicked. And um, I kind of found the center of what I wanted. So it was kind of that natural, the, the, the more natural tobacco taste was the one that just set you off and said, oh. Yeah, the aromatics were enjoyable. And, uh, you know, flavors that I like, like, you know, cinnamon and so on. One of the first I had was, I think, uh, Dan Tobacco's... Uh, devil's holiday mm-hmm. which was uh, in retrospect like i probably wouldn't like it now as much but uh, just the variety of flavors and coming to it from you know somebody who enjoys different kinds of beer and you know different world foods and so on um taking kind of that mindset to tobacco and discovering the kind of different things that can come out of it yeah we're gonna jump around a little bit but how has your preference in pipes changed since you started smoking a pipe you know like do you prefer bents versus straights and smooth rusticated and so on and so on i think i mean i probably have about i counted 60 pipes in my collection right now oh god um, aesthetically like i think uh, my early taste was much more danish and i like the more kind of uh, weird and funky styles but Mm -hmm. um, as i started smoking a pipe more seriously i developed a lot of a taste for the Italian aesthetic and especially like C-Rock Costellos and so on. That's kind of um, personally where I found myself. Uh, when it comes to bent versus straight, I enjoy both, but I found that a just classic half-bent billiard, which I never would have picked up when I was starting out, has kind of become my uh, go-to shape and go-to style. So I got to ask you, the, the 60 pipes or so, is that a lot of that from that estate batch that your mom bought? No, actually, I uh, work as a tobacconist at nights, and um, they have a bunch of old uh, RD field stock that I've had the pleasure of picking over and finding the stuff I like. So handfuls of Radice's, old uh, Carlos Gadiera Castellas, a uh, handful of Dunhills. So I've been able to kind of explore and acquire a lot of uh, things that I might not otherwise find and uh, figure out what I like going from that. All right, well, go ahead and plug where are you working? So I work at uh, Old Virginia Tobacco Company. I'm in uh, the D.C. area. It's the uh, Kingstown shop, which is kind of one of the local pipe shops, but it's one of the last classical tobacconists in uh, northern Virginia and one of the last places you can go and actually find pipes, pipe tobacco, and obviously cigars. Yeah, and four or five different locations now spread out against around the northern Virginia area. So just a, a, a great shop that's been there for, God, Gary's father opened the stores, what? 30, 40 years ago? I think 50 now. It started wow. in 1971. So they had a release of uh, Eric Nording pipes that are stamped with the 50-year anniversary this year. Wow. All right, that's a perfect spot for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll have more with Andrew in just a minute. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, 
and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with, uh, with novice pipe smoker Andrew Knapp. And Andrew, I jumped around questions. So you ready for technically question number two, which is now question number three, which was normally question number two? <laughs> All right, let's go. All right, what tobaccos did you try based on a recommendation from somebody that you did not like? I'll give you two, uh, and two that I should like, but found that they just it didn't suit my palate. Uh, one, uh, Cavie's Mixture. I didn't expect to not <laughs> like it, but uh, it had been recommended to me as a kind of a classic Gawith blend, and maybe I smoked it a little bit too wet. Maybe it deserves a second go, but um, I just, uh, it didn't uh, hit my palate the right way. The other, yeah. also a Virginia Pre, Cato's Delight. I was gifted a tin of that and was expecting to enjoy it and um, just uh, didn't find my vibe with it. <laughs> Now, has your wheelhouse kind of narrowed into really into focusing on Virginia Periques, or are you still moving around a little bit? I, yeah, my taste has definitely changed significantly. I started out, um, obviously, touching the aromatics and then really seriously got into Latakia, and now I uh, would enjoy Virginia Periques but didn't really know what to explore. But after kind of picking up vapors a little bit more frequently, um, I've kind of lost my taste for Latakia, and I have old pipes that I love that are soaked in Latakia from things like spark plug and, you know, gaslight and these other blends that um, now just don't taste the same to me. I think like a good bright Virginia and some well-aged Perique is kind of my ideal wheelhouse. Yeah. Well, welcome to the Perique side. Uh, <laughs> all right. Your next question is what was your Holy grail pipe when you started smoking a pipe and what is it now? I would say starting out near up pipes uh, were really appealing to me and I love the kind of chunky aesthetic and I still like them a lot and um, definitely like have a few and have enjoyed them. I think now like after being in the hobby and having access to a lot of like very good stock, mm -hmm. I'm still kind of making up my mind on what a grail is, but uh, right now I'm more exploring uh, L-Tank's pipes, uh, specifically the uh, his poker series. So that's being something that I might not have picked up earlier, but something that I find really appealing now. And especially anything with oil curing, that's something that I've started to explore a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're kind of lucky because with your, you know, with your part-time job and, at nights in the store, you get, I mean, Old Virginia's got a good selection. And then I guess there's probably an occasional time when you've gone into Georgetown and gone to Georgetown Tobacco as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so two really good shops right near each other. Um, your next question is, what are a few of your favorite guests from past episodes and why? I'll give you an obscure one. It was a fellow novice pipe smoker, but, uh, Declan Pollard. So yeah. listening to, uh, Declan's podcast, like kind of, you know, somebody that is a world traveler and, um, kind of picked up pipes and a bit of an old soul. It's somebody I've actually had the privilege of interacting with a bit in, uh, uh real life or I guess in kind of the hobby space. And then anytime Rich Esselman's on, I always enjoy <laughs> kind of his uh, decades or millennia in the hobby, which whichever counts first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or I'm as I as I've titled the shows now that I'm going to do that are uh, Rich's return. I'm going to call it the Rich's back, and then place Melton John in there. Uh, <laughs> but, 
All right, what is your favorite thing to do while smoking a pipe? I uh, I really love a good audiobook or podcast. Uh, right now, I'm working through uh, some of Michael Millerman's uh, philosophy lectures, so that's kind of a fun thing to do. Sit on the back porch and you know read or listen to a lecture on somebody like Heidegger or some other kind of classic 20th century philosopher. But um, I also kind of enjoy silence. It's nice to just sit quietly and uh, be left with my own thoughts for a bit. And let nature let nature play its own symphony in the background, and let the pipe talk to you. Yeah, basically. Does the uh, and and I guess being interested in philosophy that kind of leans towards that and the and just you know getting into those higher thought patterns as well. A little bit, yeah. That's something that strikes me a lot about smoking a pipe versus say cigars and um, the fact that you know especially working in a cigar lounge, folks can be kind of loud and boisterous and a little bit materialistic <laughs> and be really invested in whatever kind of sports ball game is going on yeah. and that's never really been me and um, i always kind of have enjoyed the more contemplative like a uh, little bit slower like a uh, cigar won't fight back in the same way that a pipe does if you try to puff it too fast so for me it's kind of you know like the escapement on a you know timekeeping mechanism or something it's a way of forcibly slowing down which i could use definitely uh, more frequently than not Oh, now you've said something else that's piqued my interest. But I want to ask you a separate question off of this before we get into your seventh question, because with all the places that you've traveled in the past, where would you like to go back to and smoke a pipe the most? Copenhagen, Denmark, with uh, without a second thought. I, uh, <laughs> I love Denmark. I love the people in Denmark, and uh, I like Copenhagen. So, and there's some you know decent uh, decent pipe shops there. I've heard. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, most of the uh, bars or restaurants have some sort of outdoor seating area where you can just sit and smoke your pipe, and they're perfectly fine with that. And <laughs> Just don't get into the bicycle lanes while you're walking, because they'll run you down. That in Amsterdam, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought, I thought Copenhagen was bad, and then I went to Amsterdam once. <laughs> that, that, was like, <laughs> that was like going from the minor leagues to the major leagues with bicycles. Yeah. <laughs> um, they didn't care if you were smoking a pipe, whatever you, you were in their way. Um, yeah, and they let you know. Yeah. All right, so your seventh question is, uh, you get to ask me one question, anything you want to know. So what do you think is the, um, and maybe you've answered this in some form or another, mm -hmm. but uh, what is the greatest kind of lost art that pipe smokers don't really have access to today? Maybe a blending style, maybe a carving style, maybe a curing process, anything pipe smoking. It's kind of been lost and nobody seems to be practicing it now or that tobacco can't be grown. What do you think is missing now that people say in the 60s or the 70s had access to? So, so this is kind of, this is a, there's, this is not an easy question to answer because, and I have this argument often with some of the older pipe smokers that say, you know, you know, like the Rich Essermans. Oh, Dunhill was making terrific tobaccos in the 70s, and Balkan Sobrani was great, and all this stuff was great in the 60s and the 70s. My question to them is then, if it was all such great tobacco, how come pipe smoking was dropping faster than any other form of smoking in the 60s and 70s? In 1971 or 72... In the U.S., they sold 50 million pounds of pipe tobacco that year. Fast forward that to, 
I think the number that I had, uh, the last number that I saw was pipe tobacco is about 800,000 pounds in the United States. So that's about a 96% drop off in volume. And the biggest drop off in volume happened in the 70s and in the 80s when supposedly all this really great tobacco was around. Well, why did it drop off like that? What happened? Um, I can tell you what I think happened, which is the uh, the drugstore tobaccos, the ones that were more commonly and readily available, uh, started with budget cuts and cutting quality to increase profits. Bigger companies got involved. So the mainstream tobacco got worse fast and the pipe smoker didn't switch over to the more premium tobaccos. Um, but it was easier to switch over to premium tobaccos back then because there was way more tinder boxes and shops like that. I mean, there used to be an old Virginia, well, back then it was called the tobacco barn, but uh, there used to be a tobacco barn type store or a tinderbox in every mall in the 70s and 80s, and they all had premium pipe tobacco. So I think mm -hmm. that I think the biggest change that has occurred in the pipe smoking world since that 1970 number and now is pipe smoking has gone from a daily habitual act. Yeah, I, I use my great grandfather as a point of reference who smoked a 12 ounce can of Granger Rough Cut once a week. I mean, that's almost, yeah, that's a 12 ounce can of tobacco, and he smoked it once a week. Uh, that's impressive. To guys like me, I consider myself a heavy smoker, and I'm smoking 100 grams a week, which is three and a half, four ounces. So that's one fourth of that. And even worse is for, for the tobacco business in particular, but it's actually better for the pipe smoker, is you get to the pipe smoker who smokes in the evening only or three or four times a week and looks forward to sitting down with it and smoking. So it's become a more habitual thing and converted into a more into a luxury lifestyle kind of a treat. Does that make sense? It does, and that's kind of my impulse too, especially kind of being a little bit in the industry and kind of going to a Richmond Pipe Show and seeing what's available and, uh, you know, small number of people to the point that you start to remember names. And, like, I saw people from who traveled all the way from Austin to Richmond to see everything. And, like, it's a small number of people, but at the same time, it feels like a new golden age in a lot of ways. Like, so many things are accessible. There's so much demand for kind of small craft blends. And, you know, talking with friends in my pipe club and so on who are, you know, blending their own uh, varieties and so on. It's, uh, you know, while it might be a smaller hobby, there's a lot more richness in it is my impression so far. Yeah. And, you know, we, we talked about coffee before. Um, you know, it used to be where a guy would drink a, you know, a guy would drink a pot of coffee a day and it was Folgers or Maxwell House or whatever. And now it's gotten to the point where. You know, you, you want one or two really good cups of coffee instead of eight or ten cups all day long. Uh, and the same things happened in the in the beer market. Uh, you know, in, in when I was when I was started drinking beer back in the old uh, in the old days, you know, that 1900s year era, 
uh, you know, Lowenbrow was the Lowenbrow and Heineken were the two fancy imports, and that was what you were drinking if you had a lot of money. Otherwise, you were drinking Meisterbrow or Budweiser or Coors. I grew up on the West Coast, so there was Coors all over the place. Uh, but it was really common for a guy to go home at the end of the night and drink a six-pack of beer after at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Now we just don't see that so much. So, uh, on the you know from from going back to the basis of your question. Uh, you know, the tobacco market changed because the, because the, the world, you know, the, here in the U S tobacco started to be shunned in the late seventies, early eighties. Uh, you started to lose some places to smoke it. And at the same time, those producers of the mass market brands started cutting back and doing, and, you know, trying to get cheaper, uh, without going, you know, without, you know, they were cutting quality and cutting costs. So that was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. But it really makes me happy to see, you know, people like, you know, you talked about Declan who, you know, he might smoke a pipe, what, or a cigar, you know, once a day. And, and he really knows about it. And then there's guys like you that come into this and really drink up all the information and that's a richer better pipe smoker than somebody who was like my great-grandfather who just went to the market and bought his can of whatever and stuff it stuffed it in whatever pipe they sold in a blister pack that was straight and uh so yeah i just hope we uh i hope there maintains enough uh tobacco manufacturers that are interested in quality to keep producing quality products that we have now and they're able to get the quality tobaccos to continue that and then we'll all be perfectly fine and to be honest with you i don't want everybody smoking a pipe because if everybody started smoking a pipe it's hard enough to get the tobaccos that i like and stuff like that (laughs) yeah so, so here I am promoting the pipe smoking lifestyle and the pipe smoking hobby, and I really don't want everybody doing it. So, just to hoist your own petard, being a victim of your own success. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned escapements, so that that tells me that you're somewhat familiar with uh, with with uh, non digital watches. Uh, anybody familiar in the world with what's going on with Rolex watches right now? Mm-hmm. You can't get one at retail. Yeah, sometimes 40% over retail. Yeah. Uh, If you can find it, yeah, you can get it for over, and you're lucky enough. You know, some of the popular models are going for double and triple retail. Uh, I don't. And as a general observation, too, like a lot of these hobbies have become so mimetic, and you see, I, I don't know, some watch or some pipe or some other thing and just by virtue of being on instagram or being out there in the world that increases the demand for it so it kind of evolves mimetically and uh, things get priced very differently than you'd expect them to yeah (laughs) so yeah there's you know boy that was a great question because that triggered some responses that i for me that i wasn't expecting so (laughs) the philosopher in you is pulling things out of me strangely (laughs) So with that, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Absolutely. What is your favorite pipe? 
Uh, probably, I have a Sierra Costello 65 that's uh, probably from the late 80s, early 90s, and it works with Burley really well. So that's probably my favorite. And what is your favorite tobacco? Um, I love Perique, probably more than somebody should. Uh, Virginia <laughs> Perique or Dartfire. Uh, with that, I, uh, I would say like top blends are probably, everybody loves a Scudo. I really like Deception Pass with just a little bit of Orientals in it. And another that I'll smoke a tin if I can find one is uh, Folded Flake by McConnell. That's definitely one of my favorites. And uh, don't feel bad about loving Preak. Just don't love it too much because I'm still buying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite drink? Um, when it's coffee, probably uh, ice with uh, extra cream and an extra shot of espresso. When it's more grown-up drinks, probably uh, Blade and Bow bourbon. So just a very classic, very sweet standard bourbon uh neat rocks glass no eyes when it's time to relax do you prefer a book a movie or music uh probably a book i'm not patient enough to uh read sometimes so an audiobook will work and then lastly do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory i would say probably sitting with my uh, sister and brother-in-law i had got my brother-in-law new peterson and we kind of I think we lit up autumn evening or something like that, but just playing with the kids, smoking the pipe outdoors in Tennessee and enjoying the weather. Ah, and then, uh, were you at the most recent Richmond pipe show? I was indeed. So give us a little review. Cause I haven't really talked to anybody that's been there. Uh, the tour was awesome. I, um, definitely got some perspective walking through the factory and kind of seeing the scale of production and also how many blends go through Sutliff's headquarters. Um, in terms of everybody who was there, it was kind of a smaller crowd than I was expecting, but um, some people I had met across the country. When the pandemic started, I kind of did a loop around the country and visited a lot of places like the Country Squire and Bell's Pipe Shop in Missoula and uh, other places and met you know some familiar faces there that I didn't expect to see. And uh, tons of selection, tons of still like McClellan in circulation, um, great people, tremendously fun time, got to meet a handful of uh, you know, Russell was there, a handful of others, saw Jim Inks, and uh, you know, got to meet some people in real life and talk pipe tobacco. So definitely worth it. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Andrew, thanks Thanks for coming on. Thanks for doing this, and uh, keep up the good work. Hey, thanks for having me. And we'll be back in just a minute. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe, just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes, and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm, smoking pipes in faithful service of the hobby. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And after recording with Andrew, I was sitting there thinking about Turkish coffee and sipping Turkish coffee and smoking my pipe in Istanbul. So I looked up a little, uh, looked up some of the differences between Turkish and Greek coffee. And now I've been um, 
I don't know, goofing around with the uh, Greek coffee that I've been making, adding a little bit of cinnamon and some other stuff. So, yeah, anyway, uh, thanks, Andrew. You got me down another rabbit hole. But, all right, it's uh, Halloween coming up, and uh, Vincent Price, the great voice and uh, former pipe smoker. Um, I found this, um, I don't know what this is from. It's from a TV show or a movie from the, it's got to be from the early 80s because it's really bad. Um, but it's Vincent Price uh, doing the Monster Mash, and I don't. Anyway, it's perfect for Halloween. Um, not not exactly a Grammy Award winning performance, but here it is. Maestro, to celebrate the installation of a new member, may we hear our song. I was working in the lab late one night When my eyes beheld an eerie sight For my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly, to my surprise He did the monster mash It was a graveyard smash It caught on in a flash did the monster mash from my laboratory in the castle east to the master bedroom where the vampires feast the ghouls all came from their humble abodes to catch a joke from my electrodes they did the monster mash it was a graveyard smash it caught on in a flash they did the monster mash. The zombies were having fun. The party had just begun. The guests included Wolfman, Dracula, and his son. The scene was rocking, all were digging the sounds. Igor on chains, backed by his baying hounds. The coffin bangers were about to arrive with their vocal group. The Crypt Kicker Five. They played the Monster Mesh. It was a graveyard smash. Caught on in a flash. They played the Monster Mesh. Out from his coffin, Drax's voice did ring. It seems he was troubled by just one thing. He opened the lid and shook his fist and said, Whatever happened to my Transylvanian twist? It's now the monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. It caught on in a flash. It's now the monster mash. Now everything's cool, Drax a part of the band and might of the land. For you, the living, this mash was meant to. When you get to my door, tell them Vincent sent you. Now you can monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. It caught on in a flash. Now you can monster mash. Come now, my pretty. Do the monster mash. It won't hurt. I promise. <laughs> Didn't I tell you? 
I mean, it's not great, but Vincent Price's voice is absolutely wonderful in there. And God, what a just what a voice. What in the hell? You've got mail. And remember, if you have a comment or question, you can email it directly to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com or post it on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on uh, PipesMagazine.com. And uh, going way back to uh, uh, September, uh, the uh, show with Bruno Newton's uh, Randy writes, uh, Hi, Brian, I want you to know that I really enjoyed your interview with Bruno. He's a great pipe maker and has a great story. It was interesting to hear how his process goes. The difference between the French way and others was fascinating. I have three of, my, of his pipes, and they smoke so well. Also, I love the Rich Esserman Show. Doing more of these will be great fun. Love the podcast, Randy Randy Westbrook. Sorry about that, Randy. (laughs) Thank you very much. Uh, And then uh, regarding Bruno, uh, Dino says, I really enjoyed the interesting and informative conversation with Bruno. The song by Maurice Chevalier was fun. I hadn't heard it in 50 years. Uh, If you aren't careful in Greece and Italy, you too may get addicted to the fabulous food. Your well-fed friend, Constantine Aristides Saragropoulos, or Dino. Yeah, Dino, you got more vowels in there than uh, than Wheel of Fortune's ever sold. Uh, anyway, <laughs> thanks, Dino. And then Casey Ghost says, uh, you sure put a lot of thought into uh, packing pipes for a trip. I couldn't blame you for taking four disposable lighters with you. With all the self-appointed arbiters of the laws out there, you don't have much choice. It has always amazed me the people with the least amount of authority in these things get to make all decisions and things like this, and they speak as if they were the Pope. Uh, Bruno was a fairly good interview, but I must admit I had some difficulty in understanding him. Uh, His pipes are quite good-looking, and I wish him well. Maurice Chevalier was an extremely talented man who lasted in show business an incredibly long time. Uh, The song was kind of charming. Good to hear you had some positive experiences with the Disney market managers. Let's hope something good comes of it. Yeah, everything good came out of that. Uh, And I will say that in in regards to my overpacking, I was concerned that, you know, if we got stranded or got uh, quarantined or anything i wanted to make sure that i had plenty of tobacco with me to pass the time and uh, going to the show going forward to the show with misha on uh dino says two wonderful new folk misha and marcus uh, Misha was a delight. He was re- uh, he has really moved swiftly in his knowledge and enjoyment of pipes. Man, some of these newbies have advanced so fast in the pipe world compared to the years of trial and error us old farts endured. Yeah, I know. Okay, boomer. <laughs> uh, you know, it says uh, Marcus King is an amazing young talent with stunning guitar chops. Great choice. And thanks for letting your listeners know about Pierogi of Scammer Payback. His videos are hilarious, and the work he does not only informs people about scammers, but also gives these uh, gonifs a taste of their own chicanery. Thanks for an entertaining show, Dino. You're welcome. Yeah, I I love watching those Scammer Payback shows. And there's a couple others, too. Uh, Casey Ghost says, entertaining show. Maybe I missed it, but you didn't get into what Misha's heritage is. His name alone indicates there was a boat involved in it somewhere and recently. Uh, I'm guessing Eastern European, but not sure where. 
He had an interesting story to tell and very relatable to old pipe smokers, except how compressed it was. Uh, with their exposure to the Internet, it seems the youngsters experience things at the speed of light. One minute they're smoking some good, awful, some god-awful blend that they found someplace, and the next they're moaning about the loss of Balkan Sobrani. <laughs> I mean, these guys start out with $5 basket pipes, and in a year they're smoking Costellos. <laughs> yeah, that's the speed of the Internet. Uh, then Dan says, uh, the music was quite enjoyable, but I couldn't get past the feeling that I'd heard that song before with different lyrics. But nonetheless, it was an enjoyable effort on his part. Uh, the best part was you could clearly hear what he was singing. Yeah. Uh, he says, your bit on pierogi was fascinating. The guy had some serious skills. I don't know why it is, but for some reason, us old people seem to lose our common sense when we get old. <laughs> uh, I'm losing mine right now. Uh, and then also regarding Misha, uh, the show with Misha, Hockey454 says, uh, Great show. I love these young, articulate pipe smokers you are finding. Add some new life to the show. I have to say I'm hooked on the Scammer Payback YouTube channel you recommended. I can't stop watching it. What a wonderful and honorable way to make a living. Who doesn't like seeing these scumbags get what's coming to them? Payback is a bitch. Most of these YouTubers that make a fortune don't really deserve it, in my opinion. However, these guys do, without a doubt. Thanks for the recommendation. You're welcome. Yeah, I'm glad that's uh, finding a lot of love out there. Uh, and then uh, Spike says, probably a husband of, uh, Miss, of Mrs. Spike. Uh, Spike says, another fine show, Brian. Always enjoy these interviews with newer pipe smokers. They're uniformly upbeat and personable, unlike many of us longtime pipe codgers. On another note, Mrs. Spike and I missed seeing you in Richmond. The show is as good as ever, and I've been going to Richmond shows since 1988. On our way out of the show on Saturday, Mrs. Spike stopped to thank the core guys manning the table out front. She charmed them so much they offered to make her the first female core president. <laughs> I'm jealous. There we go. All right, so there's the new campaign. Uh, Mrs. Spike for president of the Conclave of Richmond Pipe Smokers. Uh, glad you had a good time. All right, and again, still catching up in the mailbag because I really hate leaving these all hanging out there. Uh, but going to the show with Murph, uh, Casey Ghost says, just another great episode. Your trip report was very interesting. Made me wish I was there. Quite an interesting fellow is Murph. I'm like you, absolutely helpless on a surfboard. I enjoyed his stories involving the giant waves. Those were something else. Uh, I actually went and watched some of those videos of those waves off of Portugal. And I was like, oh, boy. Uh, and now we've booked another cruise that will take us near that area. So <laughs> oh, <laughs> hope the waves aren't breaking. Uh, then Casey Ghost goes on to say, I was eight when Davy Crockett ruled the airwaves for a few weeks. So naturally, I love that character. I had a 45 record of the Davy Crockett song, but it wasn't the version you played. It was droned by some normal group, but I can't remember who. Uh, Fess Parker's version was kind of hokey, but I enjoyed every last second of it. Thanks for the memories, as Bob would say. Uh, happy trails to Frank Burla. He was a true giant in the industry. I didn't know him other than by sight, but he was a giant. Rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, and then Dino says, it was great having you back, and what a wonderful show. Murph was a delightful conversationalist, a true artisan. I was a huge Davy Crockett show fan. 
Dino, I've seen you in person. You're a huge, you're huge in everything. Uh, just kidding, Dino, just kidding. But we know Greek food is good. Uh, Dino goes on to say, I threatened to leave home if my parents didn't get me a coonskin cap like Davies. I never got the hat, but I stuck around for the vittles. There we go. <laughs> uh, that was a lovely tribute to our friend Frank Burla. I first met Frank when the Northside group melded with the Southside folk to form the Chicagoland Pipe Collectors Club, and we became friends. He will be greatly missed. May his memory be eternal. Thank you, Dino. Yeah, Dino, he will be missed, uh, and uh, but not forgotten. And then we are finally caught up going back to last week's show with uh, Jeremy Reeves and uh, talking tobacco. Uh, Casey Ghost says, the article you read from on tobacco being used some 13,000 years ago was first reported in 2013 in, in a science journal. It resurfaced recently in another magazine, but it wasn't a new discovery. Linwood was a tad late in finding the article. Excellent interview with Jeremy Reeves. He has greatly improved the Cornell and Deal line of products during his tenure as uh, chief blender. He has significantly improved their older offerings by greater control of quality and some very exciting new products. Kudos to him. Uh, I don't have much of an ear for instrumentals, so to me, the music was okay. All right. Uh, and then Dino says the thoughts and processes in designing a blend as described by Jeremy were absolutely fascinating and his excitement in preparing something special for the pipe smoker was quite evident. Nice segment. Uh, John Coltrane is a favorite and this mid 1960s performance was just lovely. I told you this would happen eating delicious Italian and Greek food. You've seen me either cut back or join my club. There's always the big and tall clothes shops. Thanks for an entertaining show, Dino. Thank you, Dino. Yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll cut back. I'll only have one Greek coffee a day. Uh, and then Rabbi Ira says, what a great show. I could listen to Jeremy nerd about tobacco all day as it is, uh, as it is I listened to the show twice. I was also lucky enough to be awake at midnight at, and grabbed a stash of the New Carolina Red with Perique. Uh, the article you referenced was not breaking news, but it was still fun to hear about. Uh, John Coltrane is sublime. Perhaps you could do a regular spot with Jeremy like you do with Jeff Grasick. That is, ask the blender. Well, you ask. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. So email your questions in. Uh, and then... Uh, Rabbi Iris says, another thought. How about a conversation between Mike McNeil and Jeremy? Cheers. <laughs> I don't know if it's possible to have a conversation between Mike McNeil. <laughs> but that would be, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and then Tom Hawkins says, I told you there's a lot, but only two more. Tom Hawkins says, thanks to Brian and Jeremy for great insight into the creation of a small batch blend. I savored the details, even to going down to St. James Parish to take part in the harvesting of tobacco for Perique. I started enjoying C&D blends when the outfit was still in Morganton, North Carolina. And at that time, I thought of C&D as the Burley Smokers McClelland. Now I feel Jeremy has filled the vacuum with C&D's efforts to focus on sourcing Virginia leaf for exquisite blends. I will likely give this a second listening. Well, thank you, Tom. 
Uh, and then Jack says, this was a very interesting and informative listen. I agree with Ira's comments. I could listen to Jeremy nerd out about tobacco all day. John Coltrane was a nice musical break. It was my first time listening to the podcast. I will have to check out some previous ones. Uh, I'll have to check out some previous ones and give them a listen. A great episode. Jack, if you're doing that, just do me a favor. Stay current with the uh, listen to the current ones and then go back and cherry pick and get caught up on the old ones. That's my suggestion. And if you get really old way back there, just be graceful when you make comments about how bad some of those older shows were. All right, again, comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. Uh, ask the blender questions for Jeremy. Email them to me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. Ask the pipe maker questions. Send those off to me. And if you have any uh, suggestions, email them or post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page. All right, Halloween rant coming up next. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. October 31st. Why? Because All Saints Day is November 1st, and Halloween is All Hallows' Eve the day before All Saints Day, right? Well, here we go again with the annual, uh, what day is trick-or-treating? Because uh, Halloween's on a Sunday night, and I don't want my kids staying up late. Well, guess what? You know, stop with the wussification of your children, all right? It's not a movable date. It is October 31st. It's whatever happens that day. The weather's bad. Well, guess what? It's not a great Halloween day then, is it? So you have, so you, you know, you just go through it. You don't postpone it or put it off or have it on a day that's more convenient to it. St. Patrick's Day on a specific date. Bastille Day on a specific date. All right. Uh, Christmas on a specific date. That's the way it works. New Year's Day. January 1st, it's on a specific date. If the weather's bad, you know, that's just the way it is. Uh, 4th of July, same thing. If there's thunderstorms here in the south and it's raining, and you know what? That's just the way it is. It's That's the 4th of July you get that year. Don't be putting stuff off and you know passing things on to, oh, well, we should trick-or-treat on Saturday because then my kids can stay up later. No, you know what? Just get out, get what you can done. Get back home by 8, 8.30. Your kids will be fine. They'll get over it. They'll get all the candy. They'll be happy. A couple of years ago, the weather was bad here, so we had a few trick-or-treaters. That's the way it was, you know. That's, that's what you get. Some years are good. Some years are bad. And, you know, stop with the wussification of kids. Oh, I don't want my kids out on a school night or... Oh, it's going to be cold and rainy. Maybe we ought to put it off to, you know, if it's if your kids are worried about the weather and it's a school night, why don't we just have Halloween in August? Nothing's going on in August. All right. There you go. 
<laughs> hope you all enjoyed the show. Sorry about all the big mailbag stuff, but thank you to Andrew for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in, and until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Smith, quickly, I want that door open now. Don, stand over there. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. Did you see it? What is it? We got it! What is it? Will there be any more of them? (coughs) Sir, what you had there was what we refer to as a focused, non-terminal repeating phantasm, or a class 5 full roaming vapor. Real nasty one, too. 